0: Well, we have um, come to the part of the service where we're gonna have a short homily, and uh, like I said, Kyle would normally be doing this, but he threw his back out, and so here we are. uh, Many first, maybe the first uh, outdoor, socially distanced service you've ever been to in your life, maybe the first time you've sung with a mask on, this'll be the first time that um, you've heard a live sermon in quite a while, probably. And it also gets to be the first time you hear someone reading someone else's sermon. Hopefully, unless someone you know plagiarized the sermon. Hopefully it doesn't happen. So um, this may be a little awkward, just gonna give you that caveat, but it's still God's word and we still need it. And I hope that even this form, uh, in this format, God's word will come through. And that the Holy Spirit will be actually among us applying his word to us and, and healing us and challenging us as he does so. Um, now we've been uh, for the past uh, I don't know how many months before COVID happened. We were in this sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we're coming now to the end of the sermon. And um, and you know Jesus has been uh, preaching to us about various things as we've we've gone on this journey with his disciples. Um, We've gone through the Beatitudes, we've gone through the Lord's Prayer, and now we come to the end of the sermon. And the Sermon on the Mount ends with these three famous images, two paths, two trees, and two houses. Last week we looked at the two paths, there was the wide and the narrow. Um, Next week we're going to look at the two houses, but this week we will focus on the trees. Now, um, just as I talk to the children about uh, the way that we might fabricate fruit in our lives, you know, when, when you look at a Christmas tree, you don't think that that's actually like fake fruit, like those little you know ornaments hanging on the tree. But the Christmas tree is sort of pretending to be a real tree, right? When you have the fabricated one that you put in your house. Um, I always get a real tree at Christmas time. That's just my preference, and then I end up like you know coughing with my allergies through the whole season. But when you get a fabricated tree, you bring that in, and um, and sometimes I've seen fabricated Christmas trees that look so real I almost like wonder if um, someone's going to water it, or I wonder like um, how they got the tree to look so good. Um, and it's because sometimes things are not as they seem. Sometimes uh, we make mistakes, and things look. To be authentic and yet they're not. And appearances can be deceiving. Um, Maybe you've done this before where you bought something online and you tried, uh, you know, you read all the description and then when it arrived, it ended up looking different than you expected. You know, I remember some friends who did this once. They um, really wanted a farmhouse uh, dinner table. And if you've ever priced those, those can be really expensive, like the solid wood big table that people will come and gather around. And they imagined, they were newlyweds, they they imagined, um, you know, if we could just afford a big table, we could bring all these people into our house and sit there together. And finally, they found the table of their dreams and they couldn't believe that it was so inexpensive. And so they were like, you know, this is like, seems like a $2,000 table and yet here it is for like $200. And it was you know, like exactly like the type of wood they wanted and they ordered it. And then um, they got a knock on their door a week or so later and uh, it was a delivery man he had a box for him. He said, I need you to sign for this. And they, they were confused. They got the box and they're like, what is this? And they ripped the box open and they pull out all the bubble wrap and in the middle of the box, there was a tiny little dollhouse table. <laughs> Beautiful, exactly like the table of their dreams. Yet, um, you know, it was for someone who had a really nice dollhouse <laughs> to spend $250 on a dollhouse table. But it was not what it appeared to be when they made that purchase. And um, this, is, this is what Jesus is talking about in this passage that Ed read. He's, he's talking about how appearances can often be deceiving. And the Christian needs discernment And we need to exercise discernment because it's very possible for us as Christians to look the part on the outside but not be the real thing, to just be a fabricated Christmas tree or a miniature dollhouse that's not the real thing, a table in a dollhouse. And what we see in um, this passage is that Jesus first tells us to exercise discernment about the teachers and the ministries that we give ourselves over to. Verse 16 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Jesus is recognizing that not everything that flies under the banner of Christianity is really Christian. There are false teachers and false ministries And he actually tells us um, that when the false teachers come, they don't come dressed like wolves. They come dressed like sheep. If, If they looked like wolves, it'd be easy to tell that they were false teachers, but they're dressed like sheep. And they present as faithful followers of Jesus. They have a gripping testimony or the right credentials. They may have even studied under the right people. They have the vocabulary down and they know the things to say to get by in a Christian culture, but they aren't genuine. If you're wanting to get an academic job in the liberal arts, apparently, according to Kyle, that the book to go to is called The Professor Is In. It's written by Karen Kelsky, and in addition to the book, Karen has a blog with helpful tips and tricks for navigating the application process. One of her posts is by an anonymous guest entitled Teaching in the Non-Believer's Closet, a guest post on Christian colleges. And what she tells in this post is that um, she is not a believer, but she went and taught at a Christian university because she needed the job. It was in her town. Most of the other colleges were Christian colleges as well. And, um, and it was actually a really good place to work. And so she applied for the job and she was hired and she is teaching her um, readers in this post how to get a job at a Christian college and pretend to be a Christian and fake it. Um, she says, they talk about God a lot, so you better too. She says, um, at a religious identity university, publishing is much less important than being a good Christian. As an outsider then, you do well to spend less time in research and writing and more in going to lunch. And be sure to be heard during the prayer. Understand this, if you want tenure, you do well to burnish your classroom skills. you do well to go to chapel. you do well to say God bless you an awful lot. Because at a religious identity university, there's never a wrong time to invoke the Almighty. It's disheartening, isn't it? Um, that that it's so easy to fake Christianity. It's even more disheartening that, that other Christians didn't notice. Maybe we've made it easy to put on sheep's clothing, to learn uh, the Christian vocabulary and the jargon and the humor and, um, and to fake it and to, to sound like a Christian on the outside without actually following Jesus. If all that, is, that glitters is not gold, then all that bleats and baths is not a sheep. And so we have to exercise discernment in uh, the Christian media that we consume, the books, the music, the sermons, the podcast. Um, we have to exercise discernment and ask, this, ask the question, is this really the message of Jesus? And he says that that we must exercise discernment about the teachers and ministries that we give ourselves over to, but he also says that we must exercise discernment about ourselves as well. Look at verse 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These are some of the scariest words in the Bible, aren't they? But notice that Jesus doesn't say every teacher. He's not just talking about teachers. um, He's talking about everyone. He says that there are um, people who pretend to follow me and yet I don't know them. And he says that the danger is not just that we misjudge teachers, but we also misjudge ourselves. Um, It's not just that we can be deceived, we can also deceive ourselves. And he says that there are people who are going to show up on the last day and be surprised, utterly surprised that Jesus, Jesus does not commend them and in fact rejects them and we have to look at why they're surprised though. They're surprised because they are orthodox. Verse 21 says that they call Jesus Lord. This is the Greek word that Jews use to speak of the sacred name of God. They believe that Jesus is very God of very God. They're doctrinally sound. They're not only doctrinally sound, but they are passionate. They don't just say Lord, they say Lord, Lord. To say something twice indicates emphasis and passion. Lord Lord, they're the people that um, that make a, a display of being on fire for Jesus they worship passionately they serve passionately and they are gifted verse 22 do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name they are contributing to the kingdom and they're doing it in Jesus power that's what it means to do something in jesus name they're not natural gifts. They aren't just gifted, they seem to be supernaturally gifted. Orthodox, passionate, gifted people, yet Jesus does not know them. Depart from me, I never knew you. Now, Jesus knows about them, but he doesn't know them. He doesn't have a saving relationship with them, and that's the scary part. This is a stiff teaching, and I'm I'm not trying to create unnecessary doubts. I know that some of you struggle with assurance of salvation, and you wonder, am I a Christian? Am I really saved? And I don't want to burden uh, the people who are already burdened. But this is one of those texts that invites us to look, to look into our own hearts, to ask if we do know Jesus and if we are known by him to ask ourselves, are we just putting it on? Are we faking it? Have we mistaken Christian culture from the Christian gospel? And that brings up the most important question. How do you know? How do you know if it's genuine or if it's the real thing? Well, twice Jesus says the way you will be able to recognize genuine disciples is by their fruits. Verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 20 says it again, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And see, we often, like the people in this passage that Jesus is talking about, focus on the gifts of the Spirit over the fruits of the Spirit. We will follow leaders and teachers who have successful ministries. And we will read about how to be better leaders and how to be better, um, more successful in the ministries that we participate in. But I wonder if we often read books about humility or patience or kindness. I mean, when's the last time that you saw someone who built a ministry on the fruits of the Spirit? When's the last time that we sought out leaders that, because of their humility and their patience and their gentleness? But Jesus says that the fruit of the Spirit are far more important in the life of the believer than the gifts of the Spirit. And this is the place, um, or there is a place where the Gospels, in the Gospels, where Jesus sends his disciples back and they come back um, really excited and they say, Jesus, you should have seen it. We had power even over the demons. They they were, were casting out demons. And Jesus said, don't rejoice in this. Rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so the question for us is, do we get excited over the gifts or do we get excited over the fruits of the Spirit? We often judge ministries by doctrinal correctness or by its popularity. But we know that some of the most eloquent theologians um, were guilty of, of deep and besetting racism. And that they were rebellious, sinful people. And what Jesus is saying is in this passage is that if a person's doctrinally sound ministry produces hate and discrimination and abuse, then maybe that person wasn't so doctrinally sound after all. Some of the most charismatic Christian ministries implode after their founder leaves. And sometimes the big exciting youth groups are not the same as, see, as the ones that are seeing their kids committed to Jesus through college and into adulthood. And maybe if the big spirit-filled ministry was leaving people untethered when they got out or when the founder left, then maybe it wasn't so spirit-filled in the first place. The verse 17 says, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. See, Jesus says we have to look at the fruit of ministries, of teachers, and even ourselves. And this is challenging, this is challenging teaching for us to examine our own lives and to see if we have the fruit of the Spirit. Um, It's an occupational hazard for those of us who are Christian ministers to look at our own selves and say, are we producing the kind of fruit that the Spirit promises? Are we inhabiting the type of fruit that the Spirit promises? Are we trying to build a culture, a church that, that is um, described as loving and patient and kind and self-controlled? These are the marks of the fruit of the Spirit. These are the fruits of the Spirit that we should expect to see, even if just in, in seed form, even if they need a lot of watering and a lot of care and a lot of attention, we still wanna see those fruits and this is a place where it, we can easily get discouraged when we look out and we say, gosh, I, I often see so much works of the flesh in my own life and the life of other people who, who call Jesus Lord. Is this authentic? Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy on me, a sinner. And maybe that's the point. Maybe the point is that the Sermon on the Mount ends where it started. Do so you remember where it started? Blessed are who? The poor in spirit. Maybe Jesus is telling us in his conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount that we have to go back to the beginning. We have to go back to being poor in spirit. And maybe the way to apply this passage is not to look at our own lives and get discouraged and say, I don't see these fruit the way I want to, but to look at our lives and say, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And maybe that's actually the way that the Spirit uses to water and to cultivate that fruit. And may we do that today. May we um, end the Sermon on the Mount where we started. May we confess that we are the poor in spirit. So if you're feeling inadequate, if you're feeling um, laid low, then blessed are you. Yours is the kingdom. Come to the table through the mercy of Jesus. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that you are not silent but you are God who speaks to your people. Lord, we um, confess our need of you. We confess that we do not see the fruit of the Spirit in the ways that we want to. And Lord, we ask for mercy. Would you work in us and through us to produce those fruit? Would you give us repentance and humility. And Lord, would you um, make us people that resemble our Father in heaven, showing mercy, forgiving others, loving our neighbors and even our enemies. Would you do this not through our own power, our own striving, but through your mercy and grace in our lives. Lord, we thank you that we stand before you through the blood of Jesus on the cross that atones for our sins. And we stand here now in hope of the resurrection to come. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.